from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the words of the year, certainly of the uh, latter two months of the year, is normalize. We don't want to normalize what's going on. We, we can't normalize this, we're being told now, by journalists and by uh, partisans of Hillary Rodham Clinton, referring to the behavior of the apparent winner of the presidential election, Donald Trump. Can't normalize this behavior. He doesn't, he doesn't care if what he says is true or not. And he's the p- president-elect of the United States. We can't normalize that. One of the things we're going to do on this edition of the broadcast, looking back at the year in rebuke, is to see just how normal people in high office not telling the truth really is. Case in point, from early in the year, a story came out in Harper's quoting the domestic security chief, uh, sorry, domestic affairs chief of the Nixon administration, John Ehrlichman, having said in later years before he passed away to a reporter that, uh, quote, we knew the, our enemy, this is a paraphrase of his quote, we knew that our, our two enemies were the anti-war protesters and black people, and we couldn't demonize them explicitly, but the war on drugs allowed us to do that vicariously by another means. That was uh, reacted to in a tape we received from heaven. You'll hear it now. Just just a, 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 an example of the existing normal on Hello, Welcome to a Special Edition of Hello, Welcome to the Show and 2016, The Year in Rebuke. A little early to be uh, buzzing me, sir. Huh? We normally get together this time. <laughs> Only thing that keeps me from going buggy in this God for Of course, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. He runs the place, of course, but... Uh, well, I know, but, uh, hmm? you know, it's Easter. <laughs> well, of course, but... Uh, that's for the people down there, isn't it? You know, <laughs> up here, it's... It's like Easter every day, if you ask me. Always with the... Uh, he is risen stuff. <laughs> I mean, heck, we rose too, but we don't go around bragging about that, do we? <laughs> well, even so, sir, I was uh, trying to get my wings dry and clean before the big parade, so... Ultimately, uh, say something, and this is in no way meant to be uh, understood as a uh, criticism, but if you if you spend a little less time worrying about your damn wings and a little more worrying about the future, this All right, damn right. universe. Yes, yes, sir. I, I, I mean, I'm here with what seems to be the Well, it doesn't seem to be the problem. It is the problem. It's right. like, it's the Orlegman problem. Ah, ah, yes. Well, I mean, he's all over the place yeah. with this uh, war on drugs stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Apparently, back when he was in his second thoughts phase, he talked to some writer. Right, writer, his name is... Um, mm-hmm. Baum. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Baum. Mm-hmm. Jewish. His name is Baum. Mm-hmm. Could be German. <laughs> Germans in the media. Hold on, let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. You haven't been away from Earth that long. Well, anyway, we we did reach out. Oh, now, what the hell does that mean? Reached out. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. I hear all the, all the inductees inductees mm-hmm. up here saying that mm-hmm. all the time. It just drives me nuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, their arms can't be that long. No, no. I, so, I, I sent word down 
to our people. We do. We still have people. Hmm. Well, I mean, all the Cubans are up here. Sure. Some of the younger people are still loyalists, and uh, and they have the added advantage of being still alive. Hmm. Okay. Well, his his children issued a statement denouncing the quotes. Well, of course, they should have done that without our even reaching out to them. <laughs> I mean, actually, they did before I reached out to them. But well, uh, damn it! All of it—it seems to me that we're just sitting here on our big fat asses, mm-hmm. letting other dead people kick us around. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't care if you're paddling around with angels half the time. It's no, it's no more, Mister Nice Guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, of course, mm-hmm. Nancy Reagan passes away. Yeah, and media fall all over themselves yeah. about her whole "just say no" thing, which was just our war on drugs with the <laughs> with lipstick on. Yeah, I mean. No, that's right. Well, we get smeared with this Ehrlichman stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Have you reached out to him, for God's sake? We can't reach him. He's on the uh, blocked list. <laughs> you mean... Wait. You mean after all his namby-pamby kissing up to the liberals about how bad things were with us, he ended up downstairs? Oh, no, 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 no. He's up here. But... But... He's on the gold cloud. We tried to get on that one, but as you probably recall, they said we were lucky to get in at all. So. No, 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 I get it. I should have expected it. Liberals run this place, too. Well, I mean, of course, it's their right to have their views represented and so forth. But mm-hmm. uh, it's like I keep telling you, Alderman, no place needs a thorough top-to-bottom house cleaning more than this place does. Mm-hmm. When I'm sure you agree. Well... I don't think no, that's... of course it isn't easy, as you say. But as I understand it, we have all the time in the world. See, I've so, had people well, looking into the background of the writer. Mm-hmm. Possible that there's uh, something there that we could uh, circulate by our friends. Look, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. That Presley kid that had his picture taken with me for the uh, war on drugs. Elvis Presley. That's it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, so I understand it, and I did some reading up on it before I got photo op. He was a white man who sang Negro-type music. Well, he did some versions So of he would be a perfect person to say there's nothing racial or racist or mm-hmm. race-baited mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. in the war on drugs. See, well, now I know he's up here too, but uh, people have issued communications from uh, up here before, haven't they? Well, I think in the Bible there's some reference oh, to... Oh, sure, but... Uh, Quakers didn't read the Bible all that, that much. Mm. Still, I seem to recall. I don't think anybody did that sort of thing to uh, rescue a political reputation. No. Well, <laughs> I mean, but as you and I both know, nobody with a political reputation in need of rescuing had even gotten in up here before we had our little... Uh, our little operation. No, that's that's true. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. So, still... I think a posthumous statement from Elvis Presley might not be the most helpful way to put this whole thing to bed. Well, to get one hell of a lot of attention might kick that Trump fellow right off page one for a day or two. If that. Yeah. But, so could we get through to him? Or is, uh, is he on the gold cloud, too? Well, there was the whole drug thing with him, so no, no, he's very reachable. But mm. I think... That very fact might mitigate his value of at this point in time. The drug thing was a little thing. I see. I see. Mm. Next time we really do have to be a little bit more careful, to say the least, in betting the people who get medals for participating in the war on drugs, don't you think? 
Well, knowing what we know now. But I mean, the, so everything that Ehrlichman supposedly said to the Jewish reporter now just stands there on the public record, unanswered by us. Is that well? As I say, we still have some friends who are combing his background. Mm-hmm. Something turns up there, a sex thing, a drug thing. Hell, we, we can't still get his tax records? No. No, that capability is long gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, of course it is. Mm-hmm. What was I? Now, this fellow is the type to have a shrink, isn't he? A what? shrink whose office we can black bag, can't we? <laughs> Last information I've got, nobody has shrinks anymore. They just take pills. Well, that's something. I mean, <laughs> everything else is turning to crap, but that, that, that's something. Yes, it is. It, it, it's something. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, go have a happy Easter, then. Yes, sir. The year was bookended by a couple of events involving music, musicians, and it was uh, overall a very sad year for music. A lot of great ones, great musicians, performers lost. But uh, towards the end of 2016, Sir Mick Jagger announced that at the age of 73, he was going to be the father of a new child. The year began with the announcement that his former wife, Jerry Hall, was going to marry thrice-married media mogul Rupert Murdoch. From Mick Jagger to Rupert Murdoch, it seems like a long jump. Maybe it's just a short stroll. Well, they call me the honky tonk foggy, but this geezer's getting ready to blow. I'm lighting up a major stogie. I'm rocking my world nice and slow. I got me a rock and roll woman. Then I had a kind of hair. I know I look gone, but she's under my thumb. Wild horses couldn't end this affair. Refined sugar. I know you're bad for me Refined sugar But you're my next Destiny Yeah, yeah, yeah Well, she had the height and the beauty I had the power and greed She said Shelter, I said, you can get what you need. She's a Siamese cat of a girl. I'm a man of wealth and taste. It's a drag getting old, but not to sound cold. A body's a terrible thing to waste. Refined sugar, I know you're bad for me. Refined sugar, I won't put you on page three. 
makes a grown man cry in bed. She said, when I gave her the diamond, keep fidelity in your head. I'll be like a little red rooster when we walk down the aisle, arm in arm. Moving carriages when it comes to marriages. The fourth time is the charm. Refined sugar. I know you're bad for me. Refined sugar. You're what I take. With tea. The year started with a whole lot of Republican presidential candidates vying with each other in an seemingly endless series of debates that always each one seemed to conclude with Donald Trump walking away, sort of uh, smacking his lips happily after having consumed the chum. Um, One of whom was Ben Carson, a uh, retired brain surgeon turned conservative Republican hero, recently named as uh, part of President-elect Trump's cabinet, but in uh, one of the debates when he was still in the race, Ben Carson, this was early this year, opined that uh, when he was going to be choosing his choices for Supreme Court justices, were he to be elected president, he would uh, not base his judgment on just an interview with the possibilities, but would want to review what he called the fruit salad of their lives. The neatly cubed cantaloupe were the dreams of youth deferred. The golden delicious apple slices, the disasters that never occurred. The sections of Satsuma, my anger yet untamed. Chunks of ripe banana, my nightmares still inflamed. The tapestry of experience painted with a knife, the fruit salad of my life. Here's the ripe avocado, halved and cut in chunks. It's the time I spent in poverty, sleeping in upper bunks. Now the grapefruit segments, rinsed and patted dry. The days I wandered aimlessly, only asking why. Here's the fresh pineapple, finely peeled and cored. The days I spent in college, unwilling to be ignored. 
the teaspoons full of fresh ginger, so very finely grated, the joy tattooed on my mother's face, the day I graduated. The bitterness of the lemon juice, the years of work and strife, the fruit salad of my life. The cups of peeled large mangoes, the roads I never traveled, the stacks of grilled peach rounds, the plans that just unraveled. The quart of strawberries sliced in half. The struggle to survive. The cups of seedless green grapes. I see my dreams revive. The tapestry of experience, gently painted with a knife. The fruit salad. Of my life, as I sit down at the table, and as I gaze into the bowl, I see the parts I played in life growing into every role. The sweetness and the acidity. An endless combination. My biography is a recipe. It serves the entire nation. The kiwi fruit, so thinly sliced. Of course, that would be my wife. The fruit salad of my life. Earlier in the year. Sort of the beginning. Donald Trump had um, thrown out a um, sort of offhanded sign that Bill Clinton was going to be equally a target of his opprobrium as the uh, at that time seemingly inevitable Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, and um, Trump threw out a reference to some trips that Bill Clinton had made with the convicted pedophile hedge fund manager Jeffrey Epstein. That that didn't get much traction as time went on, partly because, as several media outlets of actual repute reported, among the other guests at uh, Jeffrey Epstein's had in uh, Florida and perhaps also on his fun-filled island retreat was Donald Trump. So it was in neither party's interest to spread the name of Jeffrey Epstein fairly far and wide. That, however, I think did surface recently in a transmogrified way since there was not a lot of media attention that that story of a pedophile involved with one or another of the members of the Clinton family, kind of transmogrified, I think, as Snopes, the uh, rumor-tracking site, seems to agree. It it got transmogrified into that weird Pizzagate 
thing that uh, went around recently. Anyway, around the same time, the Clinton Presidential Library released transcripts of some conversations between President Clinton, then President Clinton, and then British Prime Minister Tony Blair. It was indeed fodder for another episode of Clinton Something next on 2016, the year in rebuke. Clinton Something, the candidacy years. Big Bubba. I hello, Billy. It's it's uh, it's Tony. Oh, Mister Blair, I do declare. Yeah. Damn man, we haven't talked since you uh, since you started your little bromance with George W. <laughs> yes, well, whilst one's in power, one does tend to nurture relationships with other people uh, similarly situated, doesn't one? One guesses. Yeah. So, how's Sherry? How's how's the kid? What's his name? Oh, Sherry is fine. Mm. Uh, the kid is so grown up, he's got his own drone. Man, when I was a kid, I had to save up for two weeks just to get a paper airplane. <laughs> yes, they, they grow up so fast. The planes? The kids. Oh, tell me about it. Chelsea's on the board of our foundation. Now she's telling me when I can fly private. <laughs> yes, well, enough about aviation, Bill. <laughs> I wanted to touch base with you just to say a friendly... Who the hell decided to release the transcripts of our phone conversations? Well, Tony, they were released by my library. It was a... Ah, yes, this presidential library thing. It, I, I can tell you one thing, Bill. Hmm? I've been in the forefront, I should say, of, of borrowing a great deal from your fine system, ranging from the personality cult of the leader to the use of consultants and pollsters and the like. But one thing you'll never find British prime ministers doing is building their own libraries that can just... Go off and release whatever they like, whenever they like, regardless of the consequences to the participants. Oh, look, Tony, compared to some of the real stuff I said to you, to a boatload of other people, these conversations were... They were tamer than Bud Light. Yes, he he would be a baseball player. Uh, he wouldn't. Mm. I mean, what possible consequences can... Bill, one... I borrowed something else from your system. Your personal system. Mm. The ability of a nation's former leader to... Now use the value-added nature of his experience to realize appreciable gains in his net worth profile. You have a foundation? Oh, I have several. Mm. And uh, to take just one donor. I'm not sure that the president of Kazakhstan relishes the prospect of his conversations with me someday becoming public. There have been moments when he became quite frank on the subject of his fellow Kazakhstaners. And I must say, to my regret, I, I didn't attempt to remonstrate with him. So... Oh, hold on, Tony. Hillary's Skyping in from her fundraising tour of Hollywood. Ah, yes, well... Right, just a second. Hey, hon, what a relief to hear from you. Tony Blair was bending my ear about... Hello, hello, Bill. I was... <laughs> yeah, Tony, I just... I'll, I'll be right... <laughs> yeah, I was pulling you... Hold on. Hello. Oh, thank God it's you. Gee... I think I was in my third year of law school the last time you greeted me that way. <laughs> How's the fundraising going, Toots? Geffen give you the land under Cedar Sinai yet? <sighs> Not yet. 
Still ironing out the legal wrinkles. Look, hon, I don't want to tell you how to do your business. Oh, gee. I haven't heard that since I was in my third year of law school. But it's time to get, you know what, back under control. Oh, now look, I, it's, I swear, it's been zipped up tighter Not than... Not that. Mm. The so-called bimbos. Of course, I never approved of that usage. It was demeaning and disempowering, and Carville never cleared it. Got it, got it. I got it. Look, toots, <laughs> Trump's just shooting these random spitballs into the air. Some are bound to come down near you. That's just Newton's law of political gravity. But Bill... One of our major bundlers is M.I.A. Oh, shoot. I didn't realize rappers were even donors, let alone... Missing in action, not at any of our events, not working the phones, not... nothing. Robbie thinks it's because he's afraid of blowback from... all those trips he took you on. Oh, that's silly. The Foundation reimbursed him for the plane flights. Ask Chelsea. From the companions that were on those trips, dear... The female ones? Uh-huh. Well, look, I wasn't out there, obviously, but I don't think Hollywood shut the bank door to you, has it? No, but... These women may get their second 15 minutes with Sean Hannity, but, hun, every minute they're wasting talking about, quote, my women is a minute they're not talking about, oh, I don't know, your private email server. Personally, I think you may owe these gals a thank you letter. That is the single Look, most... Look, I got Tony Blair on the other line. Let's talk later. Okay, but let's talk. Oh, you got it. Jesus, Tony, you wouldn't believe the crap I have to tell Bill. you. Bill? Oh, damn it. Tony? Yes, Bill. Mm. Uh, look here, I know this is a long shot, but uh, there's not any way to retroactively redact some of those conversations, is that? <laughs> it's a longer shot than England winning the World Cup, mate. Aha. Uh -huh. And before you go blaming my library, <laughs> Tony, they were just responding to a freedom of information request from your very own BBC. <laughs> well, Bill, I can assure you, it wasn't, and most assuredly now isn't mine. I'm just saying, those are your peeps. Yes, well... That freedom of information thing is another American import that uh, we should bloody well send back. <laughs> it's nothing but a full employment law for cranks and conspiracy theorists. Uh-huh. Well, that government-owned broadcasting thing is a British import we never bothered to import, so... So Hillary's well? Yeah, she's fine. Missing a bundler. Yes. Well, I'm sure that's painful, but uh, she's a strong girl. She'll get over it. Damn straight. And listen, my friend... Mm -hmm. Tell the president of Kazakhstan the door at my foundation is always open. Mm, probably not the wisest security procedure, but yes, of course I'll tell him. Take care, mate. You be well, mate. Youthful angst and middle-aged angst. Together they add up to Clinton something. The candidacy years. From Chicago, this is the Year in Rebuke edition of the show. I'm Harry Shearer, and early in the year as well, near the start of the year, as a matter of fact, Donald Trump skipped one of the uh, multitude of presidential debates I mentioned earlier. Uh, I think it was because of uh, 
his dispute with Fox, which was airing the debate. More about that in a moment. But uh, skipping a debate certainly suggested a pattern that still might be repeated in the weeks to come. From the west front of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., this is CPR's live coverage of the inauguration of the 45th President of the United States. I'm Milton Getzler, and on this bitterly cold morning in the nation's capital, tempers appear to be heating up in a startling development unheard of in more than two centuries of American political history. A president-elect, who was originally scheduled to be sworn in at this place and in roughly ten minutes has announced he will not appear at his own inauguration. I say a startling development, although anyone who's followed Donald Trump's victorious campaign for the presidency can't really claim to be that surprised. It all began last night, as reported by David Muir on ABC News. Thank you for joining us on a Monday, and a late development for our West Coast viewers. President-elect Donald Trump just announcing through Press Secretary Ann Coulter that he will not be participating in tomorrow's inauguration ceremony. Look, we've said that if Chris Wallace of Fox, who asked the most insulting question to Mr. Trump during the final debate before the election, if he was invited to the inauguration, he, he could take the oath himself because Mr. Trump would not be there. Uh, Fox, for reasons of their own, has decided to have reasons of their own. Mr. Trump, for his part... Uh, is going to spend the day at his family estate in Florida preparing for this awesome new assignment by cutting down on the number of people he follows on Twitter. No comment yet from Chief Justice uh, John Roberts scheduled to swear in the new president. Then, late yesterday evening, President-elect Trump himself surfaced in an interview with longtime CBS Washington reporter Bob Schieffer. Mr. Trump, there's a, a rumor going around Washington tonight that you're planning to skip your own inauguration. First of all, can you tell me if that's true? And if so, why in the world would you do that? First of all, Bob, you came out of retirement to cover this campaign. Uh, you really shouldn't have done that. Sometimes it's better to leave well enough alone. All right, but sir, are you going to take the oath of office at noon tomorrow on the steps of the Capitol building? Let me ask you a question, Bob. Do you know what the temperature is going to be there tomorrow? It's going to be about 25, maybe 28 if the sun comes out. That's what all the experts say. That's what your own weatherologists say. Now, I said I'd pay for those portable heaters like the nice restaurants have for the patio seating. We have them in some of our nicer hotels. They do an amazing job. You can sit where it's freezing. Your food stays totally warm. But some bureaucrat said that that was a security problem, bringing in non-federal equipment on short notice or something. I don't know. I said, fine. All I know is I'm going to be indoors. I mean, we're indoors now. We're not doing this interview in the freezing cold, right? Well, so, so you're not protesting Chris Wallace's presence at the event? It's just the admittedly freezing conditions? Bob, I've been elected the president of the United States. Don't you think I have more important things on my mind than where a fifth-rate loser like Chris Wallace is sitting? Well, such is what? I, I'm sorry, Bob. I don't have to answer gotcha questions. You can go back to Dallas and pick lid off your trousers. Left unanswered at the end of the truncated interview was whether Trump planned to take the oath of office at all, whether he would in fact take the step the Constitution requires of a newly elected president. Conservative talk radio hosts were divided on the question of whether he even needed to, or should. Here was Glenn Beck earlier today. Now the Constitution says 
that before he takes office, he has to swear to the oath, swear to the oath. The oath is right there in the Constitution. The one he said in his last debate, he was in the middle of reading. Did I tell you this would happen? Did I warn you that we were putting the fate of God's best hope for man in the hands of an, of an unhinged hedonist, maybe even a Satanist? What's he going to do? Let Vice President Carl Icahn swear in and take over until he's decided it's warm enough to do the job? If there was ever a day where I would recommend that you buy gold, and lots of it, it's today. Minutes later on his own talk radio show, this was Rush Limbaugh. All right, my friends, let me apply the finest intellect known in the broadcasting universe to this question. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the Chief Justice of the United States has to swear him in on the steps of the Capitol. He could take the oath in his office or in his pajamas or in one of his casinos if he still owned them. He could be sworn in by his wife or any of his kids. What's her name? Uh, Mr. Snurdly. Omarosa from The Apprentice could do it. The point, my friends, is simply this. And this is what the drive-by media can't stand. They and the political establishment say, these are the rules we wrote and you have to live by them. And Donald Trump is saying, no, I don't, over and over and over again. And maybe if Fox hadn't canceled my TV show, maybe, just maybe, it's possible they would understand this by now. It's now just minutes before the inauguration was scheduled to begin. The latest word we have is that President-elect Trump is at his family's estate at Mar-a-Lago, Florida. It was from there that he phoned in a few minutes ago to speak with MSNBC's Brian Williams. Uh, sir, the first question at this hour would be, are you preparing to take the oath of office down there at your estate? Brian, let me tell you something. First of all, NBC should never have let you back on the air. <laughs> Surely, sir, you, you didn't call in just to tell me that. I didn't call in. Your people called me. I, I thought I'd th I think it was the producer for Morning Joe or something. I was expecting to speak to Joe. Suddenly... Well, this is breaking news. I'm MSNBC's breaking news anchor. I think you're MSNBC's anchor baby. But whatever you are, yes, I'm taking the oath. I have my own Bible. I'll be putting my hand on it. It's a Bible that was given to me by one of the popes. I don't remember which one. You know, I've met all seven or eight popes. I was originally going to build a, the new St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, which would have been the most amazing and, cathedral. And who will be administering the oath to you, sir? Well, a lot of people are here with me. My great friend Don King might swear me in. We don't have to make that decision for a while yet. Don King, the boxing promoter? He, he's a great humanitarian. Most people don't know that. But he's done amazing things for our veterans. And do you have any plans to come back up to Washington for any of the inaugural balls? After all, they're all indoors. And as far as we've been able to tell, Chris Wallace hasn't been invited to any of them. You know, let me tell you something. We're going to have the most spectacular inaugural ball right down here at Mar-a-Lago. Billy Joel is going to be singing. Jay-Z says he's going to stop by. We're going to send a few planes to bring people down from Washington if they want to come. If they don't, that's fine. They don't have to do business with the United States government. And you know the best thing about my inaugural ball, Brian? Mexico is going to pay for it. They've already sent the check. And as far as Chris Wallace is concerned, you know his father was a great reporter, one of the greatest. And Chris is a disaster. I don't know how you explain that. Maybe something happened genetically that I don't even want to know about. So at this hour, 
The president-elect is being sworn in at a ceremony that is being televised only by the newly organized Trump Network, which took over the channel positions of the former Al Jazeera America. And Washington wonders when President-elect Trump makes his first appearance in this city. As he told the women of ABC's The View in another phone call moments ago... Let me tell you something. I don't even know if I'm going to live in the White House. You know, it's a terrible building. I know something about buildings. They've got horrible plumbing problems there, vermin like you wouldn't believe. I mean, let's face it, there's much more space down here in West Palm Beach. We're looking right now into whether there's anything that says I have to live in the White House. We don't think there is, so maybe they should all come down here. So as Vice President-elect Carl Icahn prepares to take his oath, that concludes our coverage of this historic day. I'm Milton Getzler in Washington. We had support from the Trump Fund for coverage of the greatest presidency ever. This is CPR, Continental Public Radio. As mentioned before, President-elect Trump uh, at that time, you really think he's a candidate, Trump, was having a, a, an ongoing feud with Fox News anchor Megyn Kelly, Fox News anchor and first debate moderator Megyn Kelly, uh, a um, tussle which began with a tweet storm and might have ended, well, it, it uh, appeared to end with a uh, Fox broadcasting exclusive interview, only one of several million he gave last year, uh, that one with the very self-same Megyn Kelly. What happened in between? We can only guess. 2016, the year in rebuke. Hello, Megan? It's Donald. You know, the one with the world-famous schlong. You heard about it on your debate. Listen, speaking of the debate, I meant what I said. You look great. The short hair, which I usually don't like because of the whole lesbian thing. You pull it off beautifully. I mean, incredibly. It is absolutely a terrific look for you. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, I am saying that. But the reason I'm calling is, look, you're a smart cookie. You know, the whole thing with you last summer was because I was and I still am very, very attracted to you because maybe it's the lawyer thing, maybe now it's the lesbian thing. I'm kidding. I know you're straight. I have people who are very, very good at finding that kind of stuff out. The best in the world. The CIA uses them. But look, when I, I'm calling from the plane. Listen how quiet it is. Listen, when I said you had fire coming out of wherever, you, you're smart enough to know that what I really meant, which is that you had the fire coming out of my wherever. Look, I don't know how much time I have on this voicemail, Megan. Let me cut a check to the chase. Give me a call. I know you're busy being beautiful on TV. I'm incredibly busy, too, although most nights I do get to sleep in my old bed, which is so important. I mean, that Holiday Inn in Iowa was a disaster, but I can't say that. But look, I'm doing a rally tomorrow in New Orleans. Why don't you come down and meet me down there? A friend of mine runs the greatest steakhouse in the world. Very private. Nobody goes there, but it is tremendous food and a great place to get to know each other a little bit better. And then, who knows? I don't have a hotel down there. I was going to build something there. Somebody was, but put my name on it. But the politicians there are so corrupt. They, this guy I gave a huge amount of money to wouldn't even return my call. I mean, a huge amount. Anyway, there's a beautiful place across the lake. A fight promoter who is a terrific friend of mine owns it. Absolutely luxurious, very discreet. And who knows? You just might have the best experience of your life down there. 
I mean down there in Louisiana. But listen, I do have sizable hands. You've seen that with your own beautiful eyes. It's a shame, by the way, that I'm not in the pageant business anymore because I'm being very serious now because you are a stunner. So don't be stupid. We have stuff on your husband that could destroy him. So give me a call. I, you got this number on your voicemail now. Nobody answers this number except me and my campaign manager, Corey, who nobody can keep a secret better than him, much better than those idiots down at the CIA. They are decimating us, which, by the way, I'd love to decimate you. So call me. Don't be a schmuck. Erase this as soon as I hang up, especially the part about the Holiday Inn. I may need them again if this thing keeps going the way it is now. I mean, can you believe these crowds? Everybody in Louisiana loves me, and I think they are the most incredible. Anyway, call me. Seriously, I hate to be frustrated. Take very good care. We began this hour talking about the the Vogue word normalization. We don't want to normalize certain kinds of behavior. This year was a reminder of how far back that behavior went. Well, we didn't need that reminder. There was uh, Lyndon Johnson telling a little fib, a little white one about the uh, Gulf of Tonkin, and um, Richard Nixon. We know now, it's on the record, that he intervened to prevent the ceasefire talks between the United States and South and, and Vietnam during uh, the 1968 election campaign, promising that the South Vietnam would get a better deal when he was elected. Just we that's 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 normal. Early, earlier this year, the National Security Archive released information that had long been redacted about the United States about the CIA's participation in certain uh, assassinations, you know, certain kinds of operations, they had been that, that those uh, reports had been redacted during the uh, Ford administration when the reports first came out from the uh, Rockefeller uh, Commission. And uh, according to the National Security Archive, the uh, the handwritten notes on the reports that were redacted indicated that the redactions were accomplished by a member of the uh, Ford administration's senior officialdom, a fellow by the name of Richard Cheney. Yes, that one. Next, intimate tales of America's former underground vice president, the action-packed diary of the man who was just an enhanced heartbeat away from history, Dick Cheney. Confidential. 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 I didn't know Dick Nixon well. For one thing, he was before my time. For another, as a public figure, he was a little too nicey-nicey for my taste. But he did like to say one thing I agree with. It's better to be the man in the arena than the chumps buying tickets and beers. I'm not sure that's exactly the way he put it, but... That's his problem. For me, being in the arena, helping to make the decisions that shaped our times, sure beats the hell out of the last year or two of just watching so much that I valued twirl down history's comfort station. First, there was the sad spectacle of my former constituent-in-chief coming out of his self-imposed bubble in a vain attempt to save his brother's political heiny. If George W. had had as much compassion for Scooter Libby as he apparently possessed for his ineffectual sibling, Lynn would still be inviting him over for some of her famous antler stew. And then, speaking of pathetic spectacles, there was the leaking through totally unofficial channels 
of a report which purported to report that the Rockefeller Commission back in the 70s had soft-pedaled its reporting on supposed CIA assassination plans and that I had helped place the Commission's official foot on the soft pedal. This is the kind of thing that makes me applaud Donald Trump's plan to eviscerate the First Amendment. But unlike him, I have sources and methods at my disposal, which became clear when I paid a friendly little visit to the so-called office of the so-called group that leaked this so-called report. Wednesday, 2.17 p.m. So, uh, Mr. Vice President, make yourself comfortable. Oh, don't worry, my friend. I do that wherever I go. <laughs> you call these cushions? Well, we do operate on a kind of a shoestring, sir. Yeah. These are the shoestrings. I'd hate to see the shoes. Uh, so, Mr. Vice President, it's uh, not every day the subject of one of our releases pays us an uh, unannounced visit. That's correct. I don't tend to operate within the confines of the ordinary. Look, Mr. Whatever you claim your name happens to be, let's shook right down to the cob. Your so-called report depicts me as what you might call the great redactor, keeping supposed assassination plots by a certain agency out of the official report on the activities of that particular agency. Well, we published your handwritten notes. My friend... From my very earliest days in public service, there have been people who made it their business to replicate my handwriting. That ever occur to you? <laughs> There's no evidence of it in... There's your evidence. In nice, sharp shards on your threadbare carpet. <laughs> Big deal. That was a two-dollar vase from Walgreens. That's two dollars you can't spend in periling the future of this republic. Look, pal, I wasn't even the president's chief of staff at the time. Don Rumsfeld was... I was just his all-powerful deputy. Hmm. That's probably why he didn't want his handwriting on these notes, although... No, he was too busy playing his old I'm-too-smart-for-this-room game, which President Ford was too smart to engage in. Anyway, my friend, I couldn't help noticing as I shoved past the beggars in the lobby that you call this outfit the National Security Archive. Yes, sir. That's, that's been our name for the past three decades, during which we've... Managed to bring to the surface... A you know what's coming to the surface, pal? Huh? Your head after a boating accident. <laughs> I don't own a boat. Yeah. Certain agency might have to give you one. Well, but before we even go there, let me ask you a question. During those three decades of serving the interests of this country's pathetic but all-powerful adversaries, did you ever bother to trademark the words national security. <laughs> Mr. Vice President, national security is a phrase in common usage. It's not owned by anyone. Here's we... a document you probably didn't bother to leak. It's from the Patent and Trademark Office. You've heard of them? <laughs> yes, sir, but... Seems that someone does own the trademark on the term national security, doesn't it? Cheney Associates? Mm-hmm. It's a little cutout I run for my friends down the road from our home in McLean, Virginia. Cute little burg called Langley. Uh, Mr. Cheney, our report has already been made public. You're wasting your time. You might as well be traveling around visiting foreign... Oh, that's right. You can't. You face the prospect of arrest. My friend, arrest this. Given our unassailable right to the trademark of the phrase national security, you and your ragtag army of enemies of the state will be shut down faster than a rat-infested chipotle. Your doors will be closed 
judging by the state of the hinges. Probably for the first time. Oh, this is the Internet age, Mr. Vice President. Our report is out there. There is no there out there. So far, thanks to a certain Mr. Trump, your report has made less news than a coup in Djibouti. It's easy to make this all go away. Literally. My folks can show you how to redact your own report in the time it takes you to say, Mr. Vice President, I guess you're right. And of course, you'd have to redact this conversation as well. Sir, I'm guessing you're very busy trying to avoid crossing any U.S. borders. Uh, I'm sure that given the tiny size of our offices, you can show yourself out. All right, sir. No hard feelings. You win some, you lose some. Heck, I kind of admire your toughness. You remind me of a young Don Rumsfeld. <laughs> Maybe one day when all this blows over, we could meet under more propitious circumstances. Well, I might like that, Mr. Vice President. Heck, we could even go duck hunting together. <laughs> well, I'm not really a hunter, sir. Oh, that's okay. I'd do all the shooting. On the other hand, maybe I'll just have Lean invite our traitorous friend over for some of her famous bald eagle soup. End of partial diary from the front end of March 2016. Sincerely yours, Dick Cheney. Confidential, confidential, confidential. One of the really notable things about 2016 was the, the the number, a small number of Republicans who early decided that Donald Trump, unlike their brethren, decided that Donald Trump was not a joke and uh, was, in fact, a plausible candidate for president of the United States. And I, I, joke, I, I, I sort of chuckled when I said that because that's what we all did. Way back then, except for these, as I say, these few Republicans, Rudolph Giuliani, Chris Christie, as soon as he pulled out of the uh, race for president himself, and Newt Gingrich, as soon as he pulled out of whatever he was doing. The uh, notable thing about these three individuals is, of course, as you may have noticed by now, not a one of them has been tapped so far by President-elect Trump for high office. That's how you reward loyalty in the Trump organization. But earlier on, all of them harbored dreams. Chris Christie and Newt Gingrich, notably among them, thought they were a fine pres vice presidential timber. Events proved otherwise during 2016. The Year in Rebuke. Hello, uh, Mr. Trump. This is uh, Newt Gingrich. Newt. Or uh, you like, uh, apparently, to call me the uh, Newtster, or as uh, Callista likes to call me, the, the Newtmeister. You know, she... Anyway, sorry, I got a, got a bit of a tangent there. Look, sir... Just uh, calling to say what a wonderful time I had with you in Cincinnati the other day. What a great speech you gave, full of 
and the kinds of profoundly remarkable twists and turns that have got our friends in the media totally and appropriately confused. It was a, 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 a thrill to be on the stage with you and feel that extremely powerful energy coming from the crowd. And I just wanted to let you know that if you think it's the right mix for your campaign, and I, I certainly hope that you do, I'm more than ready for a good four months more of that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the papers, sir, that, uh, that you think you may be leaning towards a, a, a military figure, a general, somebody a little bit more uh, outside the political circle for uh, the uh, running mate slot. Uh, but I just wanted to remind you that Callista and I have been about as completely outside the political circle as you can get once my little abortive world at, the, at, at presidential politics was completed. We've been, as you know, Minding our companies, which uh, you may not know, have had their their own brushes with certain uh, chapters of the bankruptcy laws, which interestingly just provides another channel through which our experiences, uh, yours and mine, may well resonate together. Uh, you know, and and I, I, I guess I guess the voicemail isn't going to hang up, so I guess I can revise and extend here a little bit. But uh, a general is not necessarily going to be the kind of person who can go down to Capitol Hill and translate the profoundly clear concepts that you have into the bizarrely arcane constructs that are lingua franca of that building under the dome. Uh, there aren't that many people who can offer you that uh, particular kind of insidey, outsidey positioning that a, uh, let's say, a Gingrich option might afford you. Obviously, Mr. Trump, and I, I did enjoy calling you Donald uh, just that once or twice in Cincinnati, but I hope you didn't think I was going to make a habit of that, and of course I did. Uh, get the briefings from your people on that subject as well. But I haven't found generals to necessarily be possessed of the kind of flexibility that I know you and and I think I bring to the table in any of these discussions. Uh, to put it in terms that uh, you as well as Deming and Drucker would certainly understand, they, uh, generals, operate in a, in a top-down management construct as opposed to uh, the center-out style. And uh, obviously, candidate not possessed of an innate strength and toughness might well, might well want to resort to a military figure to shore up that area of potential weakness, but uh, needless to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, uh, you're not that candidate, and, and I, I do have to add before I hang up that uh, I thought we had a wonderful couple minutes talking about spirituality and sacrifice and redemption, and I'd certainly welcome the opportunity for more of that kind of conversation on the plane or the or the bus, or wherever the campaign might take us. Obviously, there's much more to be said, but I don't think I'm the person to be saying it. So uh, let me just once again thank you for Cincinnati and to express the palpably sincere hope, Mr. Trump, that there's a lot more Cincinnati in our futures. Uh, Callista and I sending our love to Melania and to your wonderful sons as well. Uh, take very good care, sir. I'm going to hang up now. White horses and ladies by the score, all dressed in satin and waiting by the door. Ooh, what a lucky man he was! And feathers 
They made up his bed A gold-covered mattress On which he was led Ladies and gentlemen, that's the year in rebuke for this week. More a week from today, same time, same audio device of choice. This Saturday in Los Angeles, Christmas Without Tears at the Largo in Hollywood, benefiting my friend's place. December 22 and 23 in New Orleans, Christmas Without Tears at the PTT Theater in French Quarter, benefiting the New Orleans Musicians Clinic. Fun and music. For a good cause, hope to see you there. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from Chicago. Chicago.